Hey everybody, Magnus here. You know, if it says anything about just how fucking far ahead of time I record this stuff, the movie Divergent came out over this past weekend, and so my girlfriend and I went to see it. And it's a good movie, don't get me wrong. I kind of liked it. I don't think I'll ever do a show about it, you understand, but... It was a good little movie. I ended up butting heads with some fucking desiccated redneck dipshit, though, because I was smoking my electronic cigarette, so he made a big show out of pretending to cough and all of that shit, and he was just, he was acting like a real asshole about the fact that he was being exposed to water vapor. But otherwise, it was a good little movie-going experience seems like des dystopian futures are a popular subject for entertainment media right now, though. And I don't know. It's almost like the cultural expectation that we all have is we're going to be living there before too long. Does that make sense? The reason that things like Hunger Games and Divergent are so popular is because it's like on some level we as a society find it easy to believe that that's in our future. Our very near future, in fact. Am I the only one a little disturbed by that? Let me know. Email me. TrennisMagnus at gmail.com Should we as a society be worried about how popular dystopian future fiction seems to be? Talk to me about it, people. Hey, your attention, please! This is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. No! Dr. Doom wears body armor to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Yeah. Who gives a shit? No! It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and you'd think all I talk about is Superman, because that's all I've been talking about lately. There's a reason for that, too, but I'll come back to it later. For now, though, let it be said that I normally talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But obviously, that's been suspended for a while around here so that I can talk about Superman, Superman, and more Superman. You see, I'm in the middle of phase one in a miniseries centering completely on Superman. The episodes preceding this one were all about Superman and 
the next several episodes are going to be about Superman as well. And when I think back on it, I have to say that this is probably the biggest miniseries I've attempted in the lifetime of Trinus Magnus Punches Reality. But if, if there's one character that's worth all this effort, you know it's going to be Superman. And as you might expect, this mega series is kicking ass because, hey, let's face it, this is Trinus Magnus Punches Reality. This is by far the best geek-related podcast to be found anywhere on the internet. They come no higher than what you're listening to right now. This is it, people. Cream of the crop. Anyway, like I said, I've been spending tons of time going through all different kinds of Superman comics. But not just comics. I talked about a hardcover in a show I did a few weeks ago, and as it happens, I may do another collection of some kind before this is all over. Now... You might ask why I'm making such a big deal out of Superman at the moment. And I'd, I would have thought it's obvious, but you know what? Maybe it's not. And if it's not, you should understand that this year is unprecedented in its importance. The reason for that is because 2014 marks Superman's 76th anniversary. What better way to celebrate this momentous occasion than, than to spend shitloads of episodes talking about how awesome Superman is. I mean, think about it, people. 76 years. That's huge. And so it's logical to want to spend at least part of 2014 celebrating Superman's 76th anniversary. You guys understand what I'm telling you here? There's no better way and no better character to focus on in 2014 than Superman and geeking out over the fact that this year is his 76th anniversary. Now, if you know me at all, you'd probably know how much I love the DC animated universe. From Superman the Animated Series to Justice League Unlimited, the DCAU is filled to overflowing with all kinds of awesome ideas and concepts. One of which is the future version of the DCAU where we have a pretty much totally new cast of characters. But the one character who hasn't changed in all of that is Superman. He's older, but he's still committed to and fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. I loved that concept and always wanted it to be revisited somehow. Well, apparently somebody at DC Comics heard my prayers because the DC Digital First line eventually released a new title called Superman Beyond. Basically, it takes place in the far-flung future where Superman's operating in a very futuristic version of Metropolis. The man of tomorrow now lives in the literal city of tomorrow, and, yeah, fuck, fuck it. You know what, I, I plan to gush plenty about this series, but 
it's probably best to just go ahead and get in the summary. So the comics are Superman Beyond, number one through four, written by J.T. Kroll, penciled by Howard Porter, inked by John Livesay, colored by Mandy Mayer, and edited by Kwanzaa Johnson. Superman Beyond, number one, kicks off with Superman hanging around in the Fortress of Solitude and reflecting on his life up to this point. First, he remembers how the planet Krypton exploded, and then <clears throat> after that, Superman just gazes around the fortress, which has radically changed in recent times. It's it's a lot more like, actually, if you wanted to compare it, it's actually it's a lot more like the classic Batcave in the comics, as it's loaded with memorabilia and, and trophies and souvenirs and just all kinds of other shit. And at a glance, we can see the Daily Planet globe. There's a newsstand, a taxi cab, a train engine, the Titanic, statues of Lara and Jarrell, a streetlight, and a bunch of other shit. We also see a hall dedicated to various uniforms that Superman wore in previous eras, like the classic version of his outfit, the electric blue version, and a sort of Kingdom Come-influenced version. These are all different from the sort of black bodysuit with white accent thing that he's got going right now. As he wanders through the fortress, Superman's basically going through, I guess you could, it's kind of like a midlife crisis, wondering if he too is just another relic from a bygone era, considering that he's outlived Jonathan and Martha Kent, the Daily Planet, Perry White, and Lois Lane. Not really knowing what else to do with himself, Superman flies back to Metropolis and surveys the city. The buildings are huge, the lights are bright, pedestrians wander around distracted by everything except Superman, and the city's alive and active, even though it's really late at night and they should all be in bed. Meanwhile, Lucinda Walters is hanging around a, a very high-tech Apple store kind of place, and she's kind of got a little bit of a chip on her shoulder. She tells a, a passing sales clerk to go piss up a rope whenever he offers to give her some assistance. Uh, Lucinda thinks to herself that the jerk doesn't even recognize her, even though she interviewed for a job there only a couple of months ago. She didn't get the job, though. She never gets the job. So, just to piss him off, she plants a tiny little transmitter inside the store, leaves, and sets the transmitter off by way of remote control. The transmitter completely fucks up the entire store and knocks out every electronic device inside, including the lights. After she leaves, <clears throat> Lucinda gets a call from a banker from Metropolis United Bank. Lucinda at first mistakes him for a creditor and tells him to go fuck himself, but she eventually realizes that he's not actually here to collect money, which is good because she doesn't have anything else to repossess or any money to pay because everything was taken from her when her mom died. <clears throat> But that's not what this is about. The banker says the reason he's calling really has nothing to do with any of that stuff. He says that they've discovered a safety deposit box in a Metropolis United Bank branch in her name. And only she can open it. Dun dun dun! Meanwhile, a firefight's broken out at the port of Metropolis. Security guards are trading fire with some very well-armed thugs, and things just aren't looking very good for him when all of a sudden, Superman arrives on the scene to help out. However, 
Superman himself is interrupted when off officers from Metropolis PD arrive using some very advanced nanotech suits to fight back against the crooks. Meanwhile, at the beginning of Superman Beyond number two, Lucinda's made her way to Metropolis United Bank to open the safety deposit box. It's practically empty though, except for a security access card. Back at the port of Metropolis, Superman and the nanotech-empowered Metropolis PD officers are beating the shit out of the crooks. Superman's amazed to discover that the department's nanotech makes them nearly as powerful as Superman himself. I mean, imagine, an entire police force of Superman. However, Superman realizes that they're not as careful about the battle and collateral damage as he is, so he minimizes some of the collateral da damage that the super cops barely even notice. After the fight's over, Superman stops by Lois Lane's grave to talk to her. He says that the new super cops make him fe feel more irrelevant than ever. He doesn't know what the fuck he's supposed to do anymore, and he, he just feels lost and alienated from everybody. He misses Lois so much and doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing anymore. Meanwhile, Lucinda's arrived at what looks like an abandoned skyscraper. The card from the safety deposit box grants her admission into the building. She explores a little bit before she inadvertently accesses a holographic recording. The man in the recording greets Lucinda by name, saying he's her father, and introduces himself as Lex Luthor. Superman Beyond, number three, kicks off with Lucinda uh, just thinking back on her hard-knock life and then thinking and, and then looking back to the recording of Lex Luthor, reflecting on his view of his rivalry with Superman. In approved Brian Azzarello fashion, the recording says that Lex always saw himself as the hero in the story. He tried to free mankind from what he saw as Superman's oppressive totalitarianism. No matter how hard Lex tried, though, he could never manage to kill Superman. Speaking of Superman, he's gone undercover. He's put on regular, regular clothes and a pair of glasses and is wandering around downtown Metropolis. He decides to pick up a hot dog from a street vendor who recognizes him from the old days when he worked at the Daily Planet with Lois. The hot dog vendor remembers how he always liked his hot dogs and then they make small talk with with one another. Still in disguise, Superman continues wandering through downtown. He remembers how he used to wander the streets in the past to clear his head and just kind of get new perspectives on things, but that's pretty hard to do these days with all of the lights and shit flashing around and a barrage of all sorts of holographic news reports and advertisements popping up every two seconds. It's just too much to take in. As Superman continues wandering around in disguise, a man named Nixon, the head of GNX Technology who pioneered the nanotech the supercops use, surveys Metropolis Plaza. He talks to Police Chief Fitz about the Stone Mafia, one of the most powerful crime syndicates in the city. Chief Fitz says that no matter how hard they try, the Stone Mafia keeps coming back and causing trouble. Nixon thinks that because of the Department of Supercops, they've made a lot of progress in the fight against crime and he thinks that's cause for celebration. Fitz isn't completely happy with how things are going though, and he's pessimistic about the future, so Nixon says it's time to expand the Supercop program to fight even harder against the Stone Mafia. Meanwhile, back at the abandoned building, 
Lucinda reviews Lex Luthor's database on Superman. Lex encourages her to pick up where he left off with his battle against Superman. He says that his database, new technology, and just the reports that he has that concern satellites that he's dispatched and satellites and probes and shit like that in outer space to bring a hailstorm of kryptonite to cover the entire Earth are going to make a big difference. This is Lex Luthor's final trap against Superman. Superman Beyond number four starts with Superman back in uniform as he floats around listening for trouble or emergencies. He sees and overhears the super cops fighting against giant fucking robots and swoops in to help. And he does nicely too. The super cops have similar abilities to Superman, but they don't have all his powers. Heat vision, for example. Still, this all feels a little too easy to Superman. He's been through this kind of bullshit before and he knows a decoy when he sees one. Superman scans the area and sees another robot breaking into a GNX research facility. He crashes in on it and is briefly greeted by a video of Lex Luthor before Lucinda's image replaces it and she talks shit to Superman a little bit. Superman crashes through the ceiling and takes the robot with him, which only improves Lucinda's reception as the robot broadcasts it back to her. Private information concerning GNX, uh, the GNX facility's secret research and all that stuff. It gets broadcast back to Lucinda, who then self-destructs the robot. Superman talks it all over with Chief Fitz, who shows him a device to forcibly retake possession of his nanotech once it's been implanted into somebody. Meanwhile, Lucinda forces her way into a meeting with the head of the Stone Mafia. She offers him GMX nanotech to allow his minions to fight back against the super cops and Superman. The leader's revealed to be none other than Solomon Grundy, who says he doesn't like technology very much. And that's pretty much the end. So, what did I think? Well, I fucking loved these issues. I think you could argue that this is the Burn Age Superman facing his twilight years. Now, the, the continuity, or at least the, the comics, the visuals, they have minor film references like the Daily Planet Globe looking like the one from Superman Returns, or the icy crystal fortress from Superman the movie. But the Superman outfits on display fit pretty neatly within the Burn Age milieu. But aside from the superficial stuff, this is a very human Superman that we're talking about, and I don't know, it just feels like the Burn Age Superman to me. It's not the animated version. This is the Burn Age. This is the post-crisis. Anyway, I think a big reason that this series plays for me is, is because it moves Superman far ahead in his life and deletes most of his supporting cast in the bargain. Basically, it puts Superman in, in unfamiliar territory, both for him and for the readers. Superman's losing his sense of relevance now that he's outlived his friends and family, while Metropolis is starting to be filled up with super cops who can do most of what Superman can do. He feels like a dinosaur who's headed to extinction. But here's the thing. He doesn't let that get him down. He has a job to do, and no matter how many super cops Metropolis ever has, Superman will always be there to help. 
he may struggle with feelings of irrelevance and inadequacy, but at the end of the day, Superman doesn't let that keep him down. And I got to, that just works for me. Plus, I really like seeing superheroes put in settings like this where they're far removed from their usual status quo. In comics, most of the time, we don't really get change. Now, we occasionally get the illusion of change, but let's face it, most of the time, this shit just isn't permanent. Certainly, characters are never permitted to progress, as far as Superman has, by the time this series starts, and I think that's a big part of my interest in this, in this series, in Superman Beyond. Another thing is that Superman's pretty much given up having a civilian identity, which is why I, I haven't used his alter ego's name in this entire show. It's a mark not of Superman abandoning the human race, but of feeling left behind by the human race and the leaps and bounds society's made during his life. And to me, that's a big difference. You see, I went on the record criticizing Kingdom Come for showing Superman as this isolated loner following the death of Lois. He abandoned the world when, arguably, they needed him most. That was a mistake. Superman was eventually persuaded to come out of exile, and then attempted to pick up more or less where he left off. That was a mistake, too. And then from there, Superman tried to build this giant fucking gulag prison for the super-powered community that won't fall into line with his program. You guessed it, that was another mistake. So on and so on and so on. Here's my point. Everything Superman did in Kingdom Come ended up being a huge fucking colossal mistake. And what Superman and the other heroes ultimately decide to do is give up the superhero game and live as one with humanity. That's not what we're seeing with Superman Beyond. Here, Superman's continuing with his never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. It's just that he feels old and useless most of the time, and let's cut the shit. He misses Lois. He aches for Lois, but he hasn't given up on his mission. In fact, you could argue that the real issue with Superman Beyond is that his mission is actually paying off. Superman's led the world into a positive future. So, on that basis, there just seems to be less of a need for Superman now. So, it isn't that the world moved on without him. Rather, the world moved on because of him. So then, you know, maybe the real conflict that Superman faces in Superman Beyond is the need to be a beacon a hero and a champion, even though it looks like his work is done. Now, of course, nothing can ever be that simple. Lex Luthor's hatched a scheme to kill Superman, even though Lex himself is long dead. He's enlisted the daughter that he had to isolate himself from during his life in order to do it. And I gotta tell you, this feels like a very Lex Luthor-ish type of scheme to me. I mean, he would figure out some kind of way to kill Superman. Even if it took decades to accomplish and probably would require him to have a child in order to carry it out. <clears throat> in fact, 
That leads into something else that I dig about this series. I rather like the concept of Lex Luthor seeing himself as humanity's savior from an extraterrestrial invader like Superman. I like that. What I don't like is when writers take that same viewpoint themselves. Now, I want to be clear on what I'm saying here. I like when Lex has that view of himself as humanity's savior. I don't like it when the writer views Lex as humanity's savior. And that may seem like a a minor point, you know, a distinction without a difference, but it's not. J.T. Kroll, the writer of this bad boy, he was smart enough to give Lex a familiar and common motivation to oppose Superman. That having been said, though, you can tell that J.T. Kroll regards Superman himself as the hero of the story. Superman's inner monologues actually tend to give that away pretty clearly. Now, Superman may question himself, that much is true, but that doesn't define him. He sometimes doubts his ongoing relevance, but the main thing here is that Superman doesn't despair over it. He's constantly presented as a hero, and as a champion, as a virtuous savior. And really, you can regard all of Superman's dialogue and actions as J.T. Kroll, the writer of this thing, as Kroll repudiating Lex's point of view that Superman is a blight upon the Earth. Now, this works for me. You know, J.T. Kroll wrote Lex as the guy that sees himself as saving the world from Superman. J.T. Kroll also, though, knows that Lex is completely full of shit, and it's Superman that's the hero here. No, no. None of this is bluntly stated in the text. You have to connect the dots for yourself. And to be honest with you, I mean, that's the kind of writing style that I prefer anyway, so that works for me. But my point in all of this is to say that even though Lex has similar motivations as Lex from Brian Azzarello's Lex Luthor, Man of Steel miniseries, it's not a philosophy that Kroll himself subscribes to. You get the idea that it is a philosophy that Brian Azzarello subscribes to. I'm not the only one out there who thinks that Brian Azzarello views Lex Luthor as the actual hero of the story, and Superman as the guy that fucks everything up. Kroll runs with that motivation. He just doesn't share that philosophy. And let's face it, this is a great motivation for Lex Luthor to have. It is. Now, no, that's not my preferred approach to Lex Luthor, but it's still a damn good one. Now, as to the art, I mostly know Howard Porter from the Grant Morrison... Uh, Justice League of America series. And I gotta tell you, as good as his art was back then, it always left me a little bit cold. Now keep in mind, Howard Porter was pretty new to comics back then, and so I think we should go easy on him. But, I gotta tell you, I feel like Porter really stepped up his game in recent years. I mean, he was always good. But now... I think he's great. I mean, he knows how to tell stories in comics now in a way that I just don't think he did back in the 90s. And I think Superman Beyond proves that. This title takes place in an incredibly advanced future, but Porter knew that 
he had to ground the technology using visuals that we're all familiar with. So even if we don't understand how exactly the shit works, we at least understand what it's supposed to do. So there's no need for a lengthy explanation for what all this bullshit does because Porter gives us enough information visually to get the message across. On top of that, Porter gives everybody a unique look. Now, admittedly, these issues only have a couple of major characters to deal with, so obviously Howard Porter has a lot of flexibility here, but that's not the point. My point is that Howard Porter isn't the type of artist to just draw this generic human body and then use that for everybody. He gives everybody a unique build and stature so that they're immediately recognizable from all the other characters. You don't need those handy little text labels when a character first appears in the next issue. Now, <clears throat> as to Superman himself, he still has a powerful and majestic form, but he's definitely showing the miles and the years in his face. He's just a little more chewed up and grizzled than the younger Superman that we're all familiar with. He's, don't get me wrong, he still has this very noble and heroic countenance, but that's tempered by the weight of years, experience, and, let's face it, grief in Superman's past. And it just works for me. Now, I don't know... Uh, that I've really talked all that much about the DC Digital First line of comics, but Superman Beyond really benefits from the Digital First type of presentation. Now, whether it's by luck or by design, Howard Porter knows how to compose his artwork for widescreen displays like iPads and whatnot. Now, I'm just truth in advertising, I have no fucking idea how this works out for the print versions. I hell... For that matter, I don't know if there even are print versions of Superman Beyond. All I can say is, it works great in the digital editions that I've got. So, overall, I think that Superman Beyond is its everything that the DC Digital First books should be. It's got a great concept to it, and I loved, loved, fucking loved these issues. And I think you will too. So... Go pick them up. Oh, something else. Um, DC published Superman Beyond number zero with a December 2011 cover date, but I'm not sure if there's any real kind of relation between Superman Beyond number zero and these, digital these DC digital first issues that I just talked about. The reason for that is because Superman Beyond number zero, it refers to continuity elements that I just don't think I don't see I don't see where they're in evidence in the DC digital first Superman beyond number one number one to four that I just talked about maybe they do relate to each other and I'm just missing the connective tissue but maybe not I don't know in fact you know what fuck it. if you know more about this than I do which wouldn't be hard feel free to let me know email me at trinismagnus at gmail.com so, so yeah, all right, I think that's, that's pretty much all I got for now, so time for a break. I'll be right back after these messages.
My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's it's my Daredevil... You get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? He joined the crusade. He helped rule the night. He fought for justice. He wore short pants. Okay, so Robin didn't always have the best fashion sense. But there's no way that he should be ignored, ridiculed, or even derided. He's been an important part of Batman's history for nearly 75 years. And that's why I've decided to give him his due in taking flight... Presented by the Batman Universe, Taking Flight is a podcast dedicated to all incarnations of the Boy Wonder. And every episode, I take a look at the adventures of Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, Damian Wayne, and all the others who have worn the red, green, and gold at the side of the Cape Crusader. New episodes appear every two weeks at the Batman Universe, which can be found at thebatmanuniverse.net. So join me. 
Tom Panneries as I put the spotlight on the greatest sidekick in comicdom. Teenage Anarchist. Okay, I'm back now, and in case it wasn't obvious, I tend to record the feedback section separately from the main episode itself. I don't know if I've ever come right out and said that, but yeah, that's pretty much how I do it. I'm also not really sure if that's completely obvious either. I mean, like, if you were to listen to this stuff as an ignorant outsider, would you think that... I record an entire episode all at the same time. Huh. I don't know. But anyway, so like I said, I tend to record the uh, feedback for any given episode completely, totally apart from the main part of the episode. So as I record this right now, it is the sun hasn't even fucking thought about coming out yet. Is how early in the morning it is, and I'm just. <clears throat> I am all over the place here, so, uh, still waking up, basically, is what it comes down to, but, uh, normally I wouldn't dream about recording anything so early on in the day, but I anticipate having a very busy day today, and this may be my only real chance to, uh, do any kind of recording, so, so that's that. So... This first piece of uh, feedback, it's an email, this came through on March the 19th, it's entitled The Big Book of Losers, sent by my old friend, Fanboy Miss Prime, and uh, Fanboy Miss Prime writes, Man, the Big Book Report is amusing. All kinds of crazy stuff to cover as well. And uh, Prime, I'm going to put your email on pause here and just say, you know, that's actually one of the um, things that people actually seem to really respond to. You know, with uh, the big books, is the diversity of a uh, of a subject matter. And at this point, I'd like to think that Chris Honeywell and I have covered some pretty serious shit. I mean, just going off memory here, but as I recall, we, meaning he and I, we've covered the uh, big book of urban legends, <clears throat> the big book of conspiracies. The Big Book of Hoaxes, uh, the uh, uh, Big Book of uh, Losers, which obviously is what inspired your email. And at the time that I record this, uh, this feedback section here, Honeywell and I have recorded, but not yet released, an episode about uh, the Big Book of the 70s. And so... That's when this is being recorded. Now, keep in mind, as you hear this, assuming everything went according to schedule, you've already heard the big book of the 70s that was released on May the 13th. And so, so yeah, there is that. But, uh, like I said, that <clears throat> that is the, uh, that's the next one that's in the pipeline. Now, 
the next one that he and I are going to release after the big book of the 70s, I think what he and I were talking about was uh, recording a something about um, the uh, big book of scandal. Which actually, as I think about it, you know what? By the time you actually hear this part too, we will have we you know we'll have not only recorded that we'll have released that as well. So, I mean, wow, that's uh, <clears throat> that's really something. I mean, wow, I really am ahead of the curve here. So, okay, so now what he and I are going to record after that, I don't know. All right, that's all I. I mean, he and I usually t we tend to go one book at a time, whichever one that he and I feel like talking about. That's the one we talk about, right? So, so that's that. But yeah, like, to get back to your point, though, the thing that people seem to really enjoy about uh, the Big Book Report is the diversity of material that that uh, that's inherent to all of this, right? And um, and I, 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 like I said, I think maybe the um, the best example of that that I can think of would be uh, the Big Book of Conspiracies. I mean, how many supposed geek-oriented podcasts out there ever dream about talking about conspiracy theories, right? But me and I did. So, still, he and I have only really scratched the surface of the stuff that's out there. I do know at some point in the future... Uh, he and I are going to do a, uh, an episode about the big book of the unexplained. I really don't know when that's going to happen, but that's something that he and I are both really interested in. And there's a, there's really <clears throat> there's really a, just a wide variety of stuff to choose from. And this kind of goes back into my my uh, I guess interest in uh, nonfiction comics. I really like the I guess I just I. I I'm in love with the comic book format as a format, and I'm also really interested in nonfiction comics, not because, you know, they're... I, I want to come off like one of those, you know, snooterati, just fucking douchebag, you know, hipster types that only seem to have an eye for, you know, unusual or non-superhero type of... <clears throat> uh, types of uh, comics. I like all types of comics. And to me, a comic book can and really should be everything, you know? So there's no need to restrict yourself to just superheroes or no need to restrict yourself to just horror comics or zombie comics or nonfiction comics. I mean, comics can be everything. And I, I really, I just, I love the comic book format, like I said, and I think this is probably the greatest, most expressive format that we have as a human race. I, I believe it, you know? And the... To me, the, the interest is, I guess, it, it, it just the, the talking about just the potential that this format has, and to me, that's, that's what's really interesting about it. So, anyway, I'm rambling here, so I'm just going to, like I said, I'm still first thing in the morning, so get back in your email. <clears throat> Prime writes, though there's a certain, well... For Millie Vanilli, or however that's actually spelled, they were they were in the Super Mario Brothers cartoon. Let me put your email back on pause and say, I did not know that. I had no idea. Now, just, you know, keep in mind, the Super Mario Brothers cartoon was always sort of lost on me when I was a kid. I guess I didn't... 
I didn't. I, I I didn't get it. Is what I guess I'm saying. Now, I guess just in the interest of full disclosure, what and this is just my memory of things. But when I was growing up, I don't remember that cartoon show ever coming on in the afternoon. Make sense? I don't remember seeing that show. Uh, on in the after, like, because and the reason I mention this is because it seems like anytime this subject ever comes up between you know people about our age, what I've noticed is that people they have very good memories of that show number one, but then they also have very clear memories of seeing that show in the afternoon, right? And you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe it was just fucking that far off my radar, but I honestly don't remember ever seeing the show in the afternoon. I remember seeing like little bits and pieces of it. In the morning, when I was getting ready for school, and, well, because you're getting ready for school, that means you cannot sit there and watch TV, right? And so, <clears throat> I remember that, you know, somebody would have the uh, TV on, and they'd just be flipping through the channels, maybe going to the news to get the weather report, fuck if I know. And, oh, hey, there's the Super Mario Brothers cartoon, but it just, it was really far off my my radar. And, in fact, you know, come to that... For that same reason, so were the Ninja Turtles until about, <clears throat> oh geez, I don't know, uh, like the spring of 1990. I honestly don't think I saw an episode of the Ninja Turtles cartoon until the spring of 1990. And I think by then they were in like their third something season, right? But because their show was always on in the morning, fucking I just, I, I never had a chance to see it. Or... If it wasn't on only in the morning, and honestly, that, I'm talking a little bit out my ass, but I swear to think that it definitely wasn't on when I was watching TV in the afternoon. Now, keep in mind that when I got home from school, my primary interest each day was flipping over to the, you know, Adam West uh, uh, Batman TV show and getting those on reruns, you know, so pretty much if it wasn't that, I wasn't watching it, so... Take all of this for whatever you think it's worth. And wow, this really is completely fucking off topic. Anyway, to get back into Prime's email, <clears throat> Millie Vanilli were in the Super, Mother, uh, Super Mario Brothers cartoon. Well, the one for Super Mario Brothers 3, I swear I'm not making this up, but Wendy Okupa, a.k.a. Cutie Pie, as she was called in the show for some reason, Uses magic to steal their singing talent, meaning Millie Vanilli, sing, stealing their singing talent. Yes. She literally stole something that didn't even exist. Doubt you ever heard of that, but it's something I remember from back in the day. I'm putting your email back on pause here and say, fucked, no, I did not know that, actually. But that is, wow, that really is kind of fucking ironic. Wow, stole something that never really existed in the first place. That's funny. Anyway, get back in the uh, email. On smoking. I honestly think it's a very bad habit to get into. But if being told it'll kill you, and that's a very proven fact, what the shit in that does to, does to you won't stop you, then I doubt I can change your mind. On electronic cigarettes, really just water vapor? And I'm going to put your email back on pause. I assume you're asking, is that really just water vapor that gets exhaled whenever you smoke an electronic, or sorry, vape 
an electronic cigarette. I don't know why they have to come up with all these retarded little words and stuff. I mean, you're fucking... You're, I mean, I understand, you know, people don't want this to be thought of at least in the same kind of category as smoking in terms of public health, and I get that. But it just kind of seems like, you know, you, when they come up with these really retarded, just fucking little names for it, you know, you're not... I'm not smoking, I'm vaping. You know, what the fuck, dude? But yeah, that's really... That really is all it is. I mean, whenever I... Whenever I pull off my electronic cigarette... Actually, I'm going to do that right now. When I... When I pull off my uh, electronic cigarette, right? What I'm... Uh, what I'm basically taking into my mouth and then into my lungs... Actually, I'm going to uh, go further back even than that. Basically, what I do is I fill up my little tube tank here with the uh, with this liquid nicotine and this is just plain old tobacco flavored you know there's really you know it's n nothing you know frilly or anything like that it's just you know plain old tobacco right now I've got let me see I've got a couple of different flavors here I've got tobacco and that's the name of it. it's just it's tobacco then I've got tobacco pure and then I've also got cherry lava and I've got sort of a love-hate relationship with Cherry Lava. I mean, it's okay. But, like, the brand for all this stuff is is uh, Volcano, right? And basically what all this bullshit is, it's ba think of it as uh, concentrated nicotine, right? Liquid nicotine that we're talking about here, right? Pour that in the old tube tank, and then uh, screw the whole son of a bitch back together, push the button... Pull off it. Inhale. Then when I exhale, what I am exhaling at that point <clears throat> really is completely water vapor, right? And you know it's kind of funny that this that this even uh, is coming up here, because well, actually I'll, I'll tell that story in, in uh, uh, just a moment. But you know that's basically what it is, and so. Uh, it, it really is, it's just water vapor, it just kind of vanishes on its own. And even if someone else were to inhale what I exhale, well, they're inhaling water vapor. I assume that they're not dying of anything whenever they inhale the water vapor when, I, when they take a shower. This is no more and no less, you know, harmful than that. So if they can, you know, handle it when they're in the shower, they should be able to handle even less of it whenever I smoke it in public. Or sorry, vape it in public. Jeez, that's such a stupid fucking word. Anyway. Get back into Prime's email, though. The only counterclaim to that would be that smoking those in, in public sets a bad example, but let's be honest here. There's lots of things setting a bad example for kids. So, enjoy that electronic cigarette, Magnus. I got two things to say to that, so I'm just going to put your email on pause here real quick and say... The way I see it, there's a limit to what we... And, and actually, before I even get into that, let me just say, you know what, guys... What I'm about to say is just completely my opinion. If you feel otherwise, well then great, fuck it, you feel otherwise. Alright? I'm just, this show is supposed to be about me expressing my opinion, and sometimes you guys may not always agree with me. So, if you agree with what I'm about to say, great. If you don't agree with what I'm about to say, also great. But this is just the way I see it. It's not 
the entire fucking public's responsibility to set a good example for children. It's just not. All right? The fact is, the way that some people dress in public sets a bad example for children. The amount of alcohol that some people drink in public sets a bad example for children. Some of the things that people say in public sets a bad example for children. It's just, you know, you go on down the line, a lot of things set a bad fucking example for children. And I've never been one of those, it takes a village type. You know, I'm of the opinion, always have been, I guess probably always will be, it doesn't take a village, it takes a responsible parent to raise a child, all right? That's not the village's responsibility, right? And to me, the minute you try to outsource something like that to everybody else, fuck, dude, I think that's half the problem that society has these days, all right? Nobody wants to be the one to take responsibility for children. Uh, parents don't want to do it. School teachers don't want to do it. The government doesn't want to do it. Fucking nobody wants to do it, right? Well, here's the thing. Of all those people I just mentioned, those children and taking responsibility for them, that's the job of only one group, the parents, all right? Everyone else is there to do a job. It's the parents that are responsible for their children. And I have to tell you, you know, when I was a kid, there was this one time uh, the family and I, we were at some fucking fast food restaurant hanging around, eating our dinner. And some teenagers over at the next table over were, you know, using some pretty fucking obscene language, right? You know, fuck this, fuck that, fuck you, fuck me, the world's fucked up, I want to get fucked, you know, all this kind of stuff. And... So eventually, my mom just has enough, and she tells him, you know, shut the fuck up. You know, she's going to go over there and, 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 you know, kick a little ass. And this was the 80s, you understand, so I guess it wasn't unusual, you know, for some, you know, mom to go around, you know, threatening to beat the shit out of some teenagers if they didn't straighten up and get their act together. And so what they do? They shut the fuck up, they straightened up, they got their acts together. They didn't talk like that around us kids anymore, Right? It's the parent's responsibility to do things like that. And <clears throat> I guess on that basis, since we're on the subject, a couple of days ago, my girlfriend and I, well, actually, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, something, fuck it, I don't know. Uh, whenever, whenever that movie Divergent came out, whatever weekend that was, my girlfriend and I, my girlfriend, Stasis Magnus, we, she and I went to see... Uh, divergent uh, together, and usually whenever I go to um, whenever I go to movies, what I normally do is I take out my electronic cigarette, and and then I know you guys can't see it, but if you can just imagine, it's got a little glow light at the end of it. I cover that with uh, my hand so that nobody can see it, right? And then I pull off it, and then whenever it's time for me to blow out the vapor, I blow it to the floor. That way it's not going to bother anybody, right? There's no fucking way that this could bother anybody. Nobody knew I was doing it, except for this fucking beer-swilling, desiccated fucking redneck that was sitting right next to me, all right? And he says, Hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. That's against the law. That's illegal, all right? Now, I am sick and fucking tired of people telling me what the law is. I know what the law is. I live in Texas, all right? There is no state law that says you can't smoke this in public. 
There is no local ordinance in my city, which is Houston, saying that I can't smoke these in public. All right? Now, I realize that people fucking misapply that. All right? They, they see, they know for a fact that there are, there are non-smoking ordinances throughout town, and they want to apply that to electronic cigarettes. But the, but the ordinance is actually very clear. You know, tobacco products. This is not a tobacco product. Okay, period, end of discussion. Okay, I don't need to go any, any further beyond that and say, well, there's not even a specific law for this, although there's fucking not. That's just the way that it works. And on top of all of that, I realize that a lot of um, private businesses have their own policies, which is a completely fucking different thing. If they wholesale ban electronic cigarettes, hey, fuck it, fine. All right? But I knew from many conversations, many previous experiences and other things, that this movie theater has no such policy. None. All right? And I don't give a flying fuck what some pimply-faced fucking minimum wage-earning teenager tells me. I don't, I, I don't care. All right? I don't care what some fucking high school kid who works at this theater tells me about that. He doesn't fucking know. He doesn't know what policy is. All right? All he knows is that somebody's complaining about something or not, or that his manager tells him to do something or doesn't or whatever. He doesn't know jack fucking shit. A teenager's job is to shut the fuck up and listen. That's how I see it. All right? In fact, really, that's, all, that's, that's any kid's job. Shut the fuck up and listen. You know? Anyway, so this fucking redneck that's sitting next to me, right, looked to be, I don't know, somewhere in his mid to late 40s, right? <clears throat> He's all telling me, oh, you can't do that in here. That's fucking illegal, which for all the reasons I just said, no, it is not. All right? And so I'm like, yeah, well, uh, cry me a river, build a bridge, and get over it, you know? So then he just starts breathing all heavy and stuff, like that thing that fucking non-smokers do when they want to fucking publicly shame you. You know, uh, guys, I got to tell you... Y- I, you know, that must take some kind of fucking balls to, uh, to do that, you know? To breathe all heavy and stuff, you know, to, to shame a, a, a fucking smoker. Dude, look, I've actually come to the, uh, come to the realization the next time some, some motherfucker does that uh, around me, I'm going to find something legal. It's going to be legal, but I'm going to find some kind of way to fuck that guy's day up. I'm going to fuck it up real bad, all right? Fuck you, dude. You know, breathing all heavy and coughing and shit because, you know, God forbid somebody's enjoying themselves. Dude, you don't like it? Fucking sit someplace else. All right? Uh, somebody's outside smoking a cigarette. You don't like it? Fucking stand someplace else. It's a free fucking country and this is, this is public property. You don't like it, asshole? Go someplace else. God. Anyway. Ooh, that felt good. Anyway. So, guy just starts fucking, you know, <laughs> coughing and shit or fake coughing. And all this other bullshit, and he's like, "Hey, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I'm gonna tell the manager, dude. If you, if you don't stop it, I'm gonna tell the manager." So, you know, look, here's the thing. I am here at the movie theater watching this movie, right? I was there with my girlfriend, all right. And let me just tell you something about my girlfriend. She will not be impressed with me, not one bit. If I end up getting involved in some kind of scene with that fucking zero, right? And so there's, at this point, there's really nothing in it for me to, you know, return fire and, you know, make, I don't know, you know, tempting though it might be, there's just, 
There's no percentage in it, you know? So anyway, so I just decided, you know what, fuck him. I'm just, I'm just going to, you know, relax a little bit, let him relax a little bit. Once he gets his little fucking attitude problem under control, then I'll go back to, uh, uh, I'll go back to having my, my e-cig, right? So about 20, 30 minutes later, I thought, okay, a sufficient amount of time has now passed, all right? And so I went back to puffing away. And like I said, the way that I do it is I cover up the little light at the end of the cigarette, and then I blow all the vapor at the floor, right? And I was so effective at doing this that the motherfucker didn't even know that I'd gone back to vaping, all right? That's how he knew, or... Yeah, I mean that. Well, that, that's not how he knew. The, the guy didn't know, right? Is what I'm saying. I covered up the, the little light, that little LED light at the end of my battery, and then I and then after I got through pulling off it, I blew all the vapor on the floor. There's no fucking way he even knew that I was smoking, except I guess he caught a glimpse of it out of the corner of his eye. So I, I want to be clear on what I'm saying. It was not the act of me smoke, or at least not. The, it, let me rephrase that. It, rephrase even that. It's not the byproduct of me vaping that bothered him. All right. Because I'd been doing it for about 20 or 30 minutes, and he didn't even notice, right? It wasn't the vapor that bothered him. It couldn't have been. Because, like I said, it had been going on for 20 fucking 30 minutes, something like that. He just happened to, uh, you know, get a glimpse out of the corner of his eye of me sitting there, you know, puffing away on this thing. That's what pissed him off, right? Fucking prick. And so... Anyway, he starts in on me again. And again, I mean, look, I'm here with my girlfriend. It's, she's not going to think it's cool. She's not going to think it's funny. She's not going to think it's anything but damned annoying. And probably, I don't even want to think about how embarrassed she would be if I were to, you know, again, get myself caught in some kind of scene with this fucking dipshit. And so eventually I decide, you know what, fuck this. I'm, I'm done. I'm just, I'm just going to let it go, right? Had she not been around, I shudder to think what might have happened next, all right? So <clears throat> there is that to think about. Anyway, movie ends, and this was the part that just fucking pissed me off. You know, this fucking redneck loser gets up out of his chair, and he's like, okay, now you can start smoking, right? Fucking dick. Anyway, so, and the only thing I could think to say was... Uh, Thank you, sir. You know, fucking asshole. Yeah. Anyway, so... So then once the movie's over, uh, you know, go to the bathroom, take a leak, come out. And... Then, I don't know, some... He looked to be, I don't know, somewhere like uh, in his mid-20s, assist, uh, assistant manager type. Basically came over and he's like, yeah, hey, uh, heard about what happened in there. And, you know, we really don't allow, you know, uh, vaping on premises. We don't allow smoking, but certainly not vaping. Uh, we don't allow that inside, uh, you know, indoors and whatnot. And I was like, look, dude, I've been through this with your manager. The guy that you report to, the guy that signs your paychecks. I've been through it with him. He doesn't mind. Well, I know, but we still have this policy. And he, um, basically, he's giving me this just bullshit customer service dance about some fucking policy that I know beyond any shadow of a goddamn doubt doesn't even exist. And it, it, it hits me. You know, there's a script that he and I are supposed to abide by. He tells me not to do it. I say I'm not going to do it. We all fucking move on, right? Confusing him with the facts is not really productive to anything is what I'm saying, right? 
And so, you know, and that eventually kind of became apparent to me. And so I just told him, all right, fine, fucking whatever, you know. I guess I'm not going to do this anymore indoors, fucking dick. So he's like, yeah, and I swear he was like fucking Lumberg. That's who he reminded me of. He was like Lumberg from Office Space, right? Yeah. I'm going to have to go ahead and uh, ask you not to do that anymore. That'd be terrific. You know, just that kind of bullshit. He's a fucking douche. And to be honest with you, I mean, look, he's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, right? One of his customers is vaping inside of uh, the movie theater. Another of his customers is pissed off by that. Now, there is nothing he can do that won't that that isn't just fucking guaranteed to piss one or the other of us off. There's nothing he can do. Nothing. All right. And so you know what? Like on the one hand, I get that, and I don't want to make the guy's job any harder than it has to be. But fuck him, dude. I'm not the one who's wrong here. All right. If you can show me a law that I'm breaking, show me a policy that I'm breaking, or anything else, that's fine. But simply saying that this stuff is the law or saying that this stuff is the policy, dude, that fucking cuts no ice with me. Number one, I know for a fact, it's not that I suspect, I know for a fucking fact that this is not against any fucking law. None. Period. End of story. And then number two, I know also for a fact that this isn't against any kind of policy that the, that the movie theater has either. All right? This isn't something that I suspect or something that I think or I heard about. Somebody somebody once told me about. Might be the case. It's possible. No. I know beyond any shadow of a fucking doubt that there is no law against this and there is no policy against this. None. All right? Anybody who says otherwise doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. All right? That's how things are in my city which is Houston, Houston, Texas. That's how things are in my city at this moment. I keep on track. I, I keep on top of this stuff. I keep track of what's going on. All right? I know what the law says. And I know, like, the majority of places that I hang out, especially if it's a big chain, like this movie theater is, I find out what their policies are. This isn't against the law. This isn't against any kind of policy. Anybody who says otherwise doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Simple as that. (sighs) Anyway. That felt good. Okay. To get back into his email, though. Fanboy Miss Prime writes, On women's urinals. Yeah, that's kind of strange. Yeah, just a bit. Again, sorry this one is, is short, but it is being worked on. It being that massive DC Presents story ideas as I'm working on it more and more. I sure hope you find it an interesting and funny look into my madness. So long and thanks for all the fish. Um, actually, you know what? Thank you, uh, uh, Prime. I, you know, look, I guess for one thing, I, look, I hope you understand, dude. It's not that I was blowing up at you a minute ago. I hope that's clear. It's just that I guess I, I am sick and fucking tired of, of the mentality of this country being that everybody has to be equally fucking miserable as everyone else. And the minute we see someone enjoying himself and, and having a, a good time, that means it's, it's time for the fucking claws to come out and all this stuff. I mean, it just, it, fuck. It, 
You know, it, 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 I just, I swear to think that there was a time in this country when we all recognized that, you know what, unless somebody is flagrantly breaking the law and, I don't know, endangering the public somehow, we're going to basically leave them the fuck alone. And I realize there's probably some anti-fucking smoke, smoking Nazi out there that would love for me to think that this stuff somehow does pose a threat to the public health. Number one, you're wrong. Number two, suck my nuts. All right. So that's just that's that's just how I feel about it. So anyway, so that's pretty much that. So as far as feedback goes, I think that's pretty much it. I'm just going to go ahead and take a look at iTunes here real fast and find out if I've got any new if I have any any kind of uh, uh, new uh, uh, reviews that have been filed, because sometimes you don't. For those of you who don't know, it's not like you get a, a notification about this when it happens. You basically just have to check. Anytime you think about doing it, you just have to check and find out. And so I don't, I don't think there's anything new. But I, then again, it's not like I've checked today, so let's have a look. Yeah, no, there's nothing. Nothing new. So, all right, so that's pretty much that for this week. Um, and uh, basically what's happening is uh, for next week, just to kind of give you guys an idea of where things are going... What's happening for uh, next week is, let's have a look at the schedule here. Let's see where I'm going. All right. Next week, I'm continuing my celebration of um, Superman's 76th anniversary. I'm going to be talking about Superman Earth 1 Volume 2. Not next week. I'm just saying that all of this stuff starts next week. So starting next week. That's when all this stuff resumes, and one of the things I'm going to be talking about is, uh, let's see, Superman Earth 1 Volume 2, and the the pre-season 11 Smallville comic book, I'm going to be talking about that as well. Now, to be perfectly honest, I'm really, the other things that are that are listed on here, as far as other things that I'm going to want to talk about, other Superman stories... Maybe I'll <clears throat> maybe I'll discover uh, I'll discuss those and and maybe I won't. I don't. To be honest with you, I haven't really made up my mind about that. So that's why I'm not going to tell you what else is coming. Except what's for sure coming is that Smallville season. Uh, I don't know, circa season two comic that came out uh, starting in 2002. I'm going to be talking about that, and I'm also going to be talking about Superman Earth One, Volume Two. So for sure, those two things. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about those two things, um, and then there's also gonna be four other episodes as well. But you know, like I said, I haven't really, I don't know, haven't really figured out if I really want to do every single one of those. I don't know. I haven't really, like I said, I, I I'm just not sure yet. But that's where ba- that's pretty much where things are going right now. So just want to thank everybody for uh, taking the time to listen. Also want to thank Fanboy Miss Prime for taking the time to write in. If you want to write in, you can um, you can reach me at trenusmagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S at gmail.com. Trenusmagnus at gmail.com. And unless you say otherwise, all correspondence will be read on mic. Also, I'd like to encourage you, if you're listening to this, to file... Uh, iTunes reviews. I know it's kind of a pain in the ass because you have to, you know, open up iTunes and you have to log in. Then you have to find my feed, which my feed is Two True Freaks Presents Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. And then you have to actually type the shit and all that stuff. I know it's a pain in the ass. 
So that's why I'd really appreciate it if you guys could uh, take some time to do that. So otherwise, I think that's pretty much it. So bye, everybody. I'll talk to you next week. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, Please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>